Not overwhelmed, not underwhelmed, not completely whelmed, but mostly whelmed. I'm your host, Sam R.B., and welcome to the world of the wild, weird, and wonderful. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to our Patreon at MostlyWhelmed.com. For $5 a month, you'll receive early access to future episodes, bonus clips, and other patron-only perks. This week, I'm pleased to say we have a new patron supporter. Thank you so much, Scotty Leonard. We're so happy to have you here in the Super Club. Tisha is a Karuna and Usui Reiki master that has been studying metaphysics for the last three years. She owns a small business in downtown Albuquerque called Flow and Glow Reiki, where she practices energy and sound healing and sells flower essences, which she produces herself. If you're interested in any of her services, you can contact Tisha via her website, flowandglowreiki.com, or directly at her Instagram. Today I talked to Tisha about a large variety of metaphysical topics, including the thought forms of flowers, the wisdom of the rocks, and the various states of human consciousness from shame and guilt to love and enlightenment. Well, without further ado, hello Tisha, and welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me here. How have you been? Busy and staying afloat during this Mercury retrograde. <laughs> Tell me about Mercury retrograde. It's something I've heard many times, but what, is it, what does that really mean? Um, so in astrology, all of the planets tend to go retrograde um, throughout the year. Mercury is the most well-known because I think the concept is it's closest to Earth, so we feel it more. And it tends to glitch our technology, computers, phones, people's phones drain, um, like cars don't turn on, uh, communication errors, like text and tone. And it's just a time to like learn and not think the universe is against you, but to actually just go within and see where you cannot be so upset about something. Mm. So what is it about Mercury specifically that it has this power, this effect? Um, so with Mercury, I guess the concept is that since it's a planet so close to Earth, like it has like some type of pull on humans, like a gravitational pull, kind of like the moon does. And then they say with the planets, since we're all made of stardust, that we're all made of like components of all the planets, which is why they all influence us in some shape, way, or form. So do all the planets have retrogrades? Yes, they do. Um, the retrogrades are lesser known, but like a really strong one that I think people should know about would be the planet Chiron when it's in retrograde. That happens to be the planet that governs people's life wounds, and it goes retrograde for about six months, and it can be quite a shit show. Um, hmm. yeah. When is the next Chiron retrograde? Um, that one? So the last one was July of 2021 to December of 2021, so I'm assuming the next one's probably around the same time frame. They tend to happen kind of give or take a few months apart from the prior year. Yeah. So you're somebody who is very kind of concerned with how energy travels and it moves and especially how it affects us as people. You know, I guess that's a good starting point for you. I mean, you, you're a Reiki practitioner. 
that whole practice is kind of about feeling people's energy and working with what somebody has to try to channel what's there, you know? You tell me. <laughs> um, yeah, so with Reiki, it is channeling for sure, and it is working with people's energy systems. Um, people describe it as like a Japanese healing modality for relaxation and stress relief, um, which it definitely does provide... Um, I don't know the science to it, and I don't feel like I really need to know the science to it because it's just helped myself and so many other people that I know of. Um, and the practitioner basically sets the intention to send the Reiki to the client, and then they channel universal energy that Reiki practitioners say is universal love or unconditional love, and it's that energy that goes through and corrects and heals and aligns the mind, body, and spirit of whomever happens to be on their table at that moment. Um, and depending on how far the person wants to go, quite a bit can be released to realign those bodies. Or if they just want to like explore and relax, like that can happen too. The energy tends to work with their own underlying subconscious energy and energies of their higher self. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, because one thing you told me that stuck with me was, you know, this idea, okay, that we, we need to keep ourselves clean, like on a purely physical level, but we also need to keep cleanliness on us on a spiritual level, on an energetic level. You know, when did you first start to get involved in this energy business? So I got involved, um, like in 2019, after my first hip surgery, um, first hip surgery, I went the Western medicine way and Western medicine was a huge disappointment. And anybody that's ever been in a lot of chronic pain, they know they hit that desperate point where they'll just like do anything to feel better. And so I was getting ready for my second hip surgery and I was reintroduced to Reiki because my aunt had passed away and she and I didn't talk, family dysfunction, and um, I wanted to pay homage to her and say goodbye to her in my own way, and I remembered she had been a Reiki 1 or Reiki 2 level practitioner, so I went to a healing circle that had a Reiki practitioner leading it, and then I experienced how wonderful it was for my body because so much anxiety was released because um, surgeries are super stressful, and after working with her for a while, I experienced a lot more pain relief, and that's what led me into it. And then the energy world is very ambiguous, and so I learned the hard way about clearing your energy, and that's why I'm so big on keeping your energy clean, especially if you're a person that has the energy system of an empath, because the energy systems of an empath versus a non-empath are quite different and empaths tend to be sponge-like and soak up everybody's stuff whereas a non-empath it'll just like bounce right off of them which is good for them but for the empath um then all of that stuff starts to like stay stuck in their body which is why you need to clean up that's interesting do, do you think that is that sort of a reason to try to be non-empathic if you can if you can help it no, I think that, well, I believe in soul contracts. So I think the people that 
choose to be empaths in this life, they choose because they want to feel on that level. And the people who don't choose to be empaths, they want to feel on that level. So I think whatever is in your contract is going to play out regardless. Mm-hmm. So sort of to be empathic then is to allow yourself to receive and transmit energy from people and maybe even beyond people as well. Yeah, so for empaths, um, I feel like it's a gift. And I've read in a lot of books and stuff, people always call it a curse and it always makes me roll my eyes. Um, because it's not a curse unless you're in victim consciousness and you're like, oh my gosh, why is all this happening to me? And then it's like, woe is me. Um, and that's like a disempowered empath. But when you're an empowered empath, you do get to send and receive and feel all these energies. And the beauty of it is you can like hear the stories people are telling without them even having to tell. And that's why so many people love their empath friends. And that's why empaths, um, tend to get drained so easily because they're picking up all this energy and being that really good friend or person for someone and they don't have these energy boundaries and it runs them dry. I mean, does that ever happen to you in your practice where there's some kind of almost alien energy that, you know, is just, it just feels like overwhelming and like this, this foreign, what do you do with that? So in the beginning um, I would have that happen quite a bit and it would suck because it would manifest as like physical aches and pains that I knew were not mine and like I couldn't figure out how to get rid of them and I didn't have the greatest mentors in the beginning. I had to learn a lot of stuff the hard way, which I feel like that happened to help others that end up on that same boat. And so back then I would try clearing stuff, um, through pendulum dowsing or meditations. But since I wasn't quite in my power um, myself, because I was just new to all of it, when when you go through a psychic awakening, like usually you're not in an empowered state when it first happens. Um, so at that point, I wasn't in my power. Um, and then I had absorbed so many people's energy over the years that um, I didn't have a set belief system for myself. And so I think all the energy clearing that I was trying to do wasn't working for me because I had nothing that I believed in for myself. It was all what other people told me worked for them. So once I sat down and actually sat there and wrote up a belief system like of what I believed, then all my energy clearing practices worked and I stopped getting all the body aches and all that stuff. Mm, and so you, you developed this comprehensive you just said it like your own Ten Commandments of some kind. Yeah, it's like nine pages long. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, because I remember one time this lady that had been kind of helping me learn to clear energy. She'd been doing energy work for a while, and she was very in her way. And I don't know. I started to realize some of her stuff didn't quite resonate with me, but then I didn't really know what to do about it. And then some other practitioner had said something where I also was like, well, that doesn't quite resonate. I was starting to develop my beliefs and realize that's what I was doing. And so then I was like, well, I remember in psychotherapy, because I study a lot of psychotherapy and psychology, um, that they talk about the power of pen to paper and the neural pathways and all that. And so 
I decided to put my beliefs pen to paper and it just really turned everything around for me. It like solidified them. Mm. So how, how did you go about that exactly? Determining what do I specifically believe, especially when you have all this foreign energy that you don't even know if it's yours or not and it's all tangled up in there. Right. So let's see. Um, so when I was working with the one mentor, I worked with her for a really long time. She almost kind of became a crutch, which is not good. And um, she believed a lot in chemtrails and reptilians, which is like conspiracy theory stuff. And I find it all fascinating. However, I went ahead and took it and made it mine when it wasn't mine. It was just something I was learning from her. And so I remember I was getting headaches for a while and she was like, oh, it's chemtrails. And so I was like, oh my God, like I have to close my doors. I love having the windows open. This doesn't make any sense to me. So then that was one thing I put in my belief system right away. Like I don't believe that chemtrails can impact my body in the way that I get sick. And then another one that I had put was, um, let's see. Uh, oh, I had started my YouTube channel and I had to take my video down because I got so energetically drained from posting the video. And it was only a short Reiki transmission, but it like wiped me out and I could tell like there was a bunch of energy cords on me. And um, I took it down and I was talking to someone and they're like, there's no way like you could put a video up like it, like that's like impossible to control. So many people are gonna like latch onto you, blah, blah, blah. And then in my head, I was like, well, celebrities are on TV all the time. And yeah, a lot of them do go crazy probably because people's energy is influencing them. But then I was like, I've seen other practitioners post videos and they're just fine. And I had emailed some of the practitioners. And I was like, what do you do so you don't get impacted by your videos? And they all had different things they did and it worked for them. And so then I was like, you know, I'm going to write that into my belief system. So I put that, I believe videos are a point in the past and nothing in the past can impact me in the present. And so therefore, like the transmission just stays in that point in time. And then after that, I stopped having issues with the videos. Huh. So all of these beliefs on some level are are kind of about protecting your own energy. Yeah, definitely. Protecting your energy. And then in the case of me, like I used to have a lot of people-pleasing tendencies. So shedding the people-pleasing and coming back to my authentic self and what do I really believe, not what others believe. Right, finding those things that perhaps in your gut, perhaps in your intuition, what you might call your higher self, they just stick with you and they don't leave. Yeah, and I mean, growing up, like, I mean, we usually have our parents define everything for us. And so even that, like, I've been, like, wanting to work on healing my relationship with money and healing my relationship with my body. And then now I'm engaged. So it's like I was raised by a divorced grandparent and then... Um, her views obviously impacted me and, um, yeah, she raised me with love, but that was like something that I picked up on, like that commitment was like no good and blah, blah, blah. So then like sitting down and putting pen to paper, like, what do I believe about love? What do I believe about money? What, like, cause yeah, it's all from the higher self and it's all in your soul contract and your soul template and blueprint and it's just waiting for you to reconnect with it. 
And you just wrote it all down. Yeah. I wrote, well, I have it titled, it's in Google Docs, it's titled The Working Draft of My Belief System. So do you add to it from time to time? Yeah. So a few weeks ago, I think it was at like six pages and now it's at nine. And I hadn't added to it for like a year, but then I just had like all kinds of shift and transformation going on to where I felt like I had to add to it. Do you ever remove things that were there? Yeah, I'll read through it and then I'll go ahead and backspace out some stuff or else I just rearrange it so it flows better. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, even within yourself, there are there are changes happening. The rules are shifting. Yeah, there's always changes and I believe that change is the only constant in this life that we have. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you've come a long way. I mean, I, I read your most recent blog post and you sort of alluded to this sort of, uh, I don't know, it, it sounds like there are some familial wounds in your past that kind of perhaps led you on the path that you are on right now. Yeah, so I would say with the family stuff in the recent blog, um, my family is all over the board. So I was raised by my grandma, but I've always been in touch with my bio mom. Um, we were more like sisters, though. And then she left me with my grandma and then found this guy. They got married and then they had my brothers. And growing up, I didn't realize it till in my adult years once I started therapy, but growing up, it was like a really deep mother wound because I would watch her come and go with these little boys and I never was able to come and go with her and I didn't understand it. And interestingly, um, I've been doing past life regression work for myself to heal patterns in this life. And my bio mom came up for like three lives and we've had the same role. We've always been mother and daughter and um, each time we've never gotten along. Uh, she never liked me in the first incarnation that we had together because she we were in Scotland and she was very Viking and warrior and blood and guts and booze and sex and I was very flowers and lands and peace and to her that like made me less than and I guess I carried it for several lives so then in this life um when I had my first hip surgery she disowned me and basically because I was weak, like in my Scottish life, I guess. And um, yeah, she disowned me. She turned all my brothers against me. And then we didn't speak for like three years. And during that time, it was interesting because her energy was definitely attacking me and spooking my cats and stuff like that. Um, and once I began psychotherapy, I have a wonderful therapist who's also trained in energy work and she had said that once you heal all the emotional wounds that the ener like the malicious energy can't come through your energy field. And so the last few years I've been working really hard to heal the wounding from her. And then with my bio dad, I met him when I was 23 and he's a pastor at a church and he's very hypocritical. And um, there was a lot of deep wounding with that as well. And his energy, it wasn't influencing me as negatively as hers. Like, I wasn't getting body aches from him. But my one cat, she always lets me know when something's going on in the house that I can't see. And um, I had figured out that his energy was impacting me negatively. And so as I started doing the psychological work, like, 
his energy wasn't able to touch me anymore. And even now, like, I saw the bio mom for the first time in, like, three years, and she wasn't able to poke me or trigger me in the way she used to, which when you're doing, like, spiritual stuff, like, if you're triggered, like, it's okay to be triggered as long as, like, you choose in the moment to work through it consciously. So, like, she couldn't really get me to go back into my unconscious way of like reacting instead I chose to respond to her and um the trip went a lot better than it would have in the past which I believe helps keep the vibration in a healthy state so yeah the sum of it so you say bio mom and bio dad I mean that sort of seems to imply that you have other another mother and another father of a different kind Um, so I have like self-made family. Um, I would say the self-made family, the person I have closest to as a dad, I met out here in Albuquerque for my first hip surgery. He was a huge blessing. He's still in my life and he's actually going to walk me down the aisle at my wedding. And then for the mom, I have quite a few maternal figures in my life. Like I probably have like four or five adopted moms. But yeah, like I've just learned to create family outside of genetics and it's been way more uplifting for my heart and especially as I go through all this grief work and stuff because as an energy worker, you can't hold space for someone if you haven't done the work yourself. So it's like nice to have that support system as I do that shadow work to expand and raise the vibration. So yeah, and then I have like an adopted brother He's a pain in my butt, but I love him. (laughs) Right. I mean, this is interesting to me because, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of the whole nature versus nurture idea and how much of who we are is dictated from our ancestors and, and the people behind us. I mean, you say that, you know, your mother was more of a warrior type and you're more of like flower power kind of person. But how how much do you believe that you have inherited the same sorts of, um, you know, qualities that your, your bio parents, you know, had? Um, I believe that I've inherited like the unresolved trauma of not just the parents, but the ancestors. Um I like to read up on epigenetics, which is the study of unresolved trauma in people's genes. And so I do believe that I've inherited quite a bit. And I do believe that I'm here to break cycles in both of my lines because they're both pretty toxic, Um, which cycle cycle breaking is like a lifelong work. Like it's not, oh, like I worked through this one trigger and I'm done. Like it's, no, it's my whole expression of life will be working through that. Um, so I do believe I've inherited quite a bit, but then at the same time, I also believe that we come in with, um, programming from our other lives that we want to work through. And we choose these people and these lines as the templates for our soul to learn and expand and heal and work through all of that. But is it just the traumas that our past generations bring us or, you know, are there also, you know, blessings that they bring us as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I believe that my mother's side of the lines have had a long line of women that have 
been very connected to the lands and had like the gift of like working with herbs and plants and magic with quotations. Um, I call it alchemy. And I think that's a beautiful thing to be passed on. And I think that, yes, some of that I cultivated in past lives, but I think I also chose a line that I knew also had cultivated it. So you put magic in quotations and compared it to alchemy. What What's the difference exactly? Um, I don't like calling things magic when it comes to like energy work. Um, cause it makes me think of the word witch and witchcraft. And it makes me think of all the thousands and thousands of people that were slaughtered because someone labeled them with the word witch just cause they were on the lands or they helped people and they like didn't align with like the values of those that were persecuting them. Um, and so I, I try, I use labels when they seem to be of benefit to whoever I'm talking to, but for the most part, I try not to label things in that way. And I feel like alchemy is a way more inclusive word that doesn't have the history behind it, that magic or witchcraft does. And I have not healed my witch wounds yet. So that's why I avoid those words. Okay. Cause yeah, when, when I hear the word alchemy, I've, I've heard it described as sort of very simply transmuting one thing into another, basically. Would you say that's along the same definition you would use? Yes. Um, I would say that's exactly what it is. So to me, magic is alchemy. Um, because I mean, if you're doing candle work or spell work or whatever you want to call it, um, you use herbs, you use fire, you work with the elements. So you're bringing in these different energies to come through and work in the ways that you want them to work. And then, yeah, they transmute things into whatever it is you're working on manifesting in that moment. And this, this sort of work that, I mean, we haven't gotten here yet, but you're very much about the flowers, you know? Yeah. You're wearing a, a what kind of flowers are those, this crown of flowers you're wearing? I don't know. I want to say maybe they're like miniature roses. They're not quite carnations, but yeah, flowers are my signature. <laughs> what is it about flowers that, that you are drawn to? Um, I don't know. I feel like they're just very loving and nurturing and... They always brighten anybody's day when they go by them, even if they're like, oh, God, look at that couple giving each other flowers. Like, low-key, they're pissed because they want the flowers, mm. you know? <laughs> like, they're just cheerful, supportive companions in this life, too, because I do believe plants are living beings, and um, Mother Earth's creatures all have wisdom to pass on to us, and... I do know um, that in that same life in Scotland, I was very, very connected to flowers, which now makes so much sense to me because like sometimes I'll be like sitting by the river or in the mountains and I'll be with a friend or someone will be like, oh my gosh, do you feel like blah, 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 this energy or that elemental or, and they'll be like, uh, no. And then I'll feel all like bummed because I'm like, oh, I'm like the only one feeling it this deeply. Um, but now knowing what I know about that life, it makes a lot more sense. So how do you connect with the flowers? Um, so I will, uh, well, I make flower essences. I guess that's a good way to start. Um, which flower essences are a form of vibrational healing, which 
in vibrational healing, um, basically you're getting the essence or the energy of the plant and you're working it into your energy system. So a flower essence is made through the sun energy, which would be prana. And then you do it in the morning because the morning light is said to be the stronger light. Or you could do it during moonlight, um, like a full moon if it's a night blooming flower. And you let the light shine on the flower and you have the flower in a bowl of spring water. And then science has proven that water records data. And so the energy, the sunlight beams onto the flower and the flower's information is then recorded into the water. And then you bottle it and preserve it and you take it under your tongue, the um, bottled tincture under your tongue, or you can put it in a bath or you can do it in like mop water for your home. Like you can use essences in so many ways and depending on what flower you're working with, like roses, for example, rose is a flower of love and it helps remove like that which is not loving in your system or like peace lily is a really powerful one and peace lily will go through and help you work out all the energy and emotions that might be repressed or suppressed that take away from your inner peace which doesn't feel the greatest because you got to feel to heal but at the same time afterwards it does feel good oh and that's something i forgot to mention with essences when you're making essences you must always ask the plant for permission mm. and you're supposed to meditate with it. I know that the like large corporations like box flower remedies probably don't have somebody meditating as they do it because they're so large. You can still feel the power of their essences though, but the people that meditate with their essences, like if you order on Etsy, it has a different feel and I feel like mm -hmm. it goes on a deeper level because um, I order essences if I can't make them I order them off of Etsy and those practitioners have higher vibing tinctures than the corporate ones do. But I'm pretty sure these women that I order from are also meditating with it and asking for permission. So when you're like walking around somewhere and, and, and you see some flowers, I mean, how do you go about discerning you know, what kind of flower this is? What, what is the flower's essence? What do I connect to about this flower? How do I relate to this flower? If a flower catches my eye, I'll take a picture of it. That I, If I don't recognize it, I'll take a picture, and then I'll try to figure it out when I get home. Um, I'm always taking pictures of flowers. I want to do a photography book on them. Um, and then I have one or two books on flower essences at home that are channeled books, meaning that the author channeled it from the unknown, which takes away the validity of it to some people. But I think... If you can read and get goosebumps or get teary-eyed or feel it in your gut, then your own approval is what really matters. Um, so yeah, I have the books also and I'll go and like, let's say I'm walking down the street and I see lavender and I'm like, oh, I wonder what like lavender does. I'll go reference the book because it's like so detailed. Um, and the books also have references for if you want to do gem essences, which is like a whole nother <laughs> world. What book is this for the flowers? Um, the one that I reference the most is Gurudas, G-U-R-U-D-A-S or D-U-S. Um, I have one for like just herbs that he wrote or channeled. And then I have another one for flower essences and vibrational healing. And I think there's one on gem essences that I don't have yet, but that I'd like to get. 
And so you say you have to ask the flowers permission to sort of bottle their essence. Do they ever say no? Yes, they do. Huh. They do say no. Um, and I mean, if you sit with them longer, because some people, our egos get all butthurt when they do say no. Um, like, I've watched my fiance sometimes not ask right away. And I'll be like, did you ask for that? And he'll be like, yes. And then he has the guilty look. And then he goes back. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> and um, he always says they say yes. But I feel like there's been a few times where they have said no. But he won't admit it. I've had a couple tell me no. And then I'll just go further along in the plant. And then I'll usually get a yes. Um, but you just have to respect them. Because interestingly with plants, they're here to learn with humanity. And... Um, Unlike animals, because um, animals are also here to teach us and vice versa, animals, once they die, they die. Like, even if it's like an animal that we're eating, like, there is no animal essence in what we're eating anymore. We're eating dead energy, which is why a lot of people talk about eating clean. However, with plants, um, part of their learning experience is to go through the whole process if we do eat them to go through the whole process of getting eaten, digested, and eliminated from the body, and then their life cycle dies. So a flower might not want to be picked because it doesn't want to be an essence, or like, I don't know, maybe like kale doesn't want to be eaten by you, and it doesn't want to go through the elimination process, you know? Like, yeah. So flowers, do you have conversations with them of a sort? I feel like I do, but it's more so without words, and it's just like a very deep understanding. Um, it's very communal without n much need to talk to them. I do talk to them if I'm going to do essences just to see what they want to be used for and see if it aligns with like also what I was already intending based off of what I'd read to use them for. Um, and they'll talk, and they're usually pretty simple plants don't make things that complicated humans do so like it's like when people say listen to your heart like your heart talks so simple as well like if you're like stressing out, out like crazy about something it'll be like it'll be okay and that's like a heart message or like a flower like we'll be like i just want to help you with love and that's just that's plants are simple humans are complicated <laughs> so what 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 desires do flowers have i don't know all of them um I do know they all have different things to learn here as well as we do. And I do know back in the day, people had way more cultivated relationships with flowers and plants um, for different purposes with energy, especially the more ancient evolved civilizations. Um, they knew which flowers and plants would work with your mental body or your emotional body or which meridian the plant would work with because they, some of them would sleep with the plant by their night for like a certain amount of time. And that would be their way of learning the plant was through the dream state. Um, however, I haven't committed to that level. Huh. Yeah. So, so they would actually take a plant that they wanted to learn more about and they would sleep with the plant. Yeah. They would sleep with it by the bedside um, and gain as much knowledge as they could from it. And then they would work with the next plant and the next plant. And it was not so much like a person and energy work would do. It was more, it was like a community thing. So they were way more in touch with plants and stones. 
Because interesting you say plants are simple compared to humans. I mean, to me, it's like you look at just a simple bush, you know, but it's this complicated fractal-like structure. And how do you know if that bush is safe to eat, you know? It seems quite complicated to me. See, and I mean, to me, I... So foraging for plants is a bit different than making essences because essences will never have um, plant matter in them. When you're making an essence, it's always just going to be the energy of the plant, so you don't have to worry about poison and toxins. If you're making essences with crystals, I think it's just smarter to do it through the indirect method, which is where you put a crystal inside of a small glass container and then put that small glass container inside of a glass bowl with the water. And that way the crystal doesn't leak anything into the water. Um, plants, it's like, even if any plant matter was like leaked in, it's so low dose. It's kind of like homeopathy where homeopathy works off of low doses. It wouldn't um, harm a person. However, foraging in the wild, yes, that would be more complicated because most of us are not in touch with plants in that way. And a lot of us probably would poison ourselves. Um, like, and it's all about the preparation of plants too, which I say simple and the plant messages are very simple. However, preparation for us is not simple because we actually have to study and figure out what works. Like one of my favorite, it's not a flower essence. One of my favorite um, homeopathic remedies to take is belladonna, which is known for killing people. Um, but it's so great for back aches. Like it's awesome. Um, and I use it all the time. Um, whenever I have a backache or there's like a, another one, what is it? Oh, roost tox. It's poison ivy. It's great for arthritis and whiplash, but it's all in the preparation. And is that the same kind of process of distilling it into the essence? No, I don't know how to make the homeopathic stuff at all. Um, the homeopathic stuff can be different ways you can have people that do like herbal tinctures which is where they do like an alcohol extract with the plant in a jar for so many weeks or months or you can have like if you go to sprouts they have like the highlands brand which is like little sugar tablets and i don't know how they extract for the sugar tablets wow yeah this is fascinating because like i mean you made a very good point the fact that most of us are not accustomed to nature at all you know, no. if we might go on a walk from time to time in the hills or, you know, in the forest, but that's very different from actually actively communicating with it on a, on a, a more integrated basis. Yeah, no, most of us are not connected um, at all. I remember it was interesting when I was first getting into plants, I was reading about a Hawaiian healer and how they communed with plants and they would always start off talking the longest to the first few plants that they were going to forage from for whatever they were making. And then as they walked, they didn't have to talk as much because the plants would talk through the root systems and let them know that this person was coming. And so then they didn't have to communicate as in depth because, yeah, like it's pretty interesting. Because they're conversing with the plants themselves who are actually delivering them information yeah. about other people. Yeah, and plants talk, and I mean, um, they talk about, like, tree systems and, like, um, mushrooms. I don't know what the word is. Is it mycelium or something? How they're all super connected, and, like, if a tree is sick or something, I think the other trees 
try to like not like interact with it as much or maybe they interact more with it or like if there's baby trees they try to like drop their seeds so other baby trees grow around that tree so it grows up with community um and then yeah they all they all talk it's pretty interesting yeah yeah so i like what you said you know on some level plants are growing with us because they are a form of biological life you know Mm -hmm. let's talk about the rocks you know because they're they're not exactly life right do, um, do rocks have a life force of their own? Yes, they do. Huh. Rocks definitely do. Um, and rock- how, how are they different from plants, you know? So, I mean, we're all different because we all have different makeups and um, life forces and lifespans and things we want to learn. Um, and with the rocks, so gem essences, what I love about gem essences is... Rocks and all of that came before humanity ever was on Earth. And so with that, rocks and all of that were around before there were ever thought forms, which thought forms are, some people would call them entities. I just think they're self-created thought forms that like it's your shadow that follows you around or if enough people put a thought, enough energy into a thought, then they create a thought form. Like in Christianity, you have the thought form of Satan, like Satan is an entity in Christian lens, but like through this lens, like it's just a thought form that so many people have put their thoughts into that have given it life um, because the mind is very powerful. And so with gem essences, since they were around before thought forms because we weren't here, um, they're so great for working with like negative self-talk or anger or fear, especially if it's like fear-based in religious programming because the gem essences like they were around way before that because flowers even have thought forms that we've put into them. Like marijuana has so many thought forms put into that one. Um, and what we use it for nowadays probably doesn't align with what it actually came in here originally um, to be worked with or used as. Um, but we've put so much thought into it and commercializing into it that now there's this thought form that comes with it. And so, yeah, with the stones, they know how to navigate that stuff and don't have to deal with that energy and they can help humans break it up. Um, if you ingest the essence or if you work with stones, they have their own electromagnetic fields because everything does. And so whatever healing qualities they have um, will mix with your energy field and provide you what is of most benefit to you in that moment. As long as the stones are programmed with positive intentions or a high vibration intentions, because you do have people that will work with stones and plants for bad because we have free will and there's just some souls that are here to learn the darker side of things, which is fine. Like every path is correct. Yeah, so the rocks, they are they are sort of thoughtless on some level. They're beyond thought, you know. Or if they do have a thought, it's much, much older than us or the plants, you know. And there's something closer to just something very, very old, very, very, and something that's so sturdy in a way because it has lasted all these years. Yeah, no, definitely. I would say rocks are more like, well, plants are a stream of consciousness. um, And I would say rocks are a stream of consciousness, but like you said, it's a very strong, like ancient stream of consciousness. Um, I wouldn't even know where to categorize it because I don't use labels in that way, so... 
Yeah. And so tell me about the various characteristics of different rocks, you know? Um, so the ones that are like the rocks for like basic rocks, um, that are good to just like learn about in the beginning. Black tourmaline is a really awesome one to have. It's great for keeping away negative thought forms, which if you're first messing with crystals, you don't want negative thought forms around you. And if you're going through a spiritual awakening, you don't want that around you either. So tourmaline's great for that. Um, it can break it up and dissipate it. Or it can give you the space to where maybe like you're meant to experience these thought forms or entities or whatever. And tourmaline will give you the energetic support to help you work through it at the pace that your soul wanted. And then um, rose quartz is a really great one. It's super simple. Um, it's a love stone. It's for the heart. Um I think a lot of people use it in like love spells probably, but I mean, you can use it for self-love and that's just powerful in and of itself because if more people love themselves, the world would be a way more loving place. Um, Malachite is a wonderful, it's a beautiful green stone for heart healing as well. Um, It's toxic. So if you were going to take a bath, you would not want to put it in the bath or if you were making gem essences, you wouldn't want to ingest that water. Um, and then rhodonite is a beautiful stone. It's like pink and black um, patterned. And it's also like a love stone and helps dispel things that take away from like protecting your heart. Um, I know a lot of the love stones because I feel like that's been a lot of my journey lately is like self-love and cultivating that. Um, I know jet and shungite, they're darker stones that are used for like EMF protection, electromagnetic field protection, and they're used for like spiritual warfare, as some would call it, or psychic attack protection, as some would call it. Um, the darker stones tend to be more protective. Um, and then like you have stones that are like reds, those tend to be like lower chakra stones, which lower chakra, you want to be grounded. So like the darker stones again are very grounding like the reds and the browns and the grays and like hematite is a gray um so those are all like good for the root chakra and stabilizing that chakra and then the heart stones those are like in the center of your energy system so it's good for healing the heart chakra which is like the bridge between the upper and the lower chakras um and then you have like amethyst which is a really popular stone and it's used more for the upper chakras. It's also used for psychic protection, but it helps like clear pathways to you and your source so you can hear messages more clearly. Or there's celestite, which is used for angelic connection and connecting to your higher self a bit more. Um, Selenite is a powerful cleansing stone. Like, yeah, like I love selenite. Like I use it all the time I have selenite powder that I put in my smudge sprays because it's just so good at clearing. And then I'll do a sprinkle of selenite and bath water with salt just because then you have the salt to purify, but then you have the selenite doing its thing. Or another way to work with stones is you can do um, visualizations for clearing and shielding your energy. A lot of people do like white light meditations, but if you resonate with stones, you can call on the energy of like selenite and do the white light meditation but then you can wrap your white light bubble that's around you with a layer of selenite and then you have like that extra protection in the mental and spiritual realms 
Well, it's interesting to me because all of these different kinds of rocks, they were formed under various sort of geologic conditions, you know. Yeah. There are sedentary rocks, there are igneous rocks, metamorphic rocks, you know, certain, for whatever reason, some, under certain amounts of pressure, some kinds of rocks turn into some specific kinds of other rocks, you know. Yeah. There's there's processes of, of the, you know, heat and water that all give give different kinds of rocks vastly different stories to tell. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about it, too. I hadn't thought of it that way. But yeah, like all the circumstances in which the rocks are created definitely give different properties, which the properties would match all the different circumstances and pressures that a human is under when they connect with that stone. And then I just think to myself, rocks themselves aren't even the oldest thought forms either, you know? There, right. are, there are things beyond the rocks that formed them, and then, you know, what formed those things, you know? Right, well, and rocks, like, don't even have, like, thought forms. They came before the human thought forms. If we were on other planets, I don't know, I mean... Exactly. Yeah, exactly, because... In the and there's a whole other processes going on there. Yeah, you know? Exactly. And in the energy worlds, they talk about like people that are called star seeds, um, which means they're from another planet incarnating here on Earth. And who knows what extremes are on their planets and what thought forms or lack of thought forms or what objects they have. Like there's probably not even words for some of the stuff. Wait, so you're saying there are people called star seeds who are reincarnations of people that live on other planets? Yeah, so starseeds believe that they come from other planets like the Sirius star station, the, what is it, Arcturian star maybe. Um, and there's one other one. There's like three or four different types of starseeds that I've heard of. And they believe they came here to help humanity in the ascension process, which the ascension process has to do with um, old earth and new earth. And it has to, it has to do with Mother Earth raising... Her vibration, which is known as the Schumann resonance, her heartbeat is raising. And so in order for humanity to survive on the planet, we must also raise our vibrations or else we would die on the planet. Um, and so these people believe they came to help in that process, which I could see. But I, the thing that I don't agree with with a lot of the starseed talk is a lot of people, they think that since they're from that planet, like that's their source. Um, and where they come from, but really we all come from, from my belief system, we all come from the exact same source, regardless of the planet. We all started wherever all that is started us all at. Um, so, I mean, Earth or Sirius, we're all from the same creator. So, I mean, is it, is it the Big Bang, basically? I don't know. I don't have the answers to everything. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Yeah, it's I'm I'm okay not knowing answers to stuff like that. I like to learn about it and take what works and type it into my belief system. But with that one, I don't I don't know. So you said Sh Schumann. What is that again? The Schumann resonance. It's um the heartbeat of Earth. It's actually measured. There's like a radar or a scale that you can look at that shows the frequencies, and then I think it also documents um the solar flares that we receive, which the solar flares are in the energy world. A lot of people call them light codes because it's 
sun energy hitting the planet and shining light codes on us. I don't go so deep into that. I just receive whatever light codes are coming through and let it be. So, so what tradition does this come from, the idea of star seeds? Is there a group of people? Uh, is it, there a religious identity associated with this? I don't know. I guess it would just be New Age, or I'm sure some people might have like some type of religion for it. I don't know. Yeah, again, because like there are so many New Age beliefs. I mean, I'm sure you don't even accept all of what is out there for yourself. Not in my nine pages. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of beliefs out there. Um, I just take... So the one that I resonate with the most is I really, really love the book Power Versus Force by David Hawkins. It's... Um, Basically, he goes and he measures the different levels of consciousness that there are, and he does it based off of muscle testing, and he does it on a scale zero to a thousand. A thousand being like the highest avatar, like Buddha or Christ or Krishna, um, and then zero being like the lowest, and then these different states. And so um, he says, once you start functioning at the calibration of love, which is 500, um, you as a person can balance like 75,000 other people with your energy field, which to me, like focusing on my energy field and reaching that calibration of love is way more up my alley than focusing on like star seeds and light codes and stuff like that. So I don't even go and entertain that energy anymore like I once did once I didn't know my belief systems. So you're trying to keep it pretty simple then, ultimately. Yeah, I do try to keep it pretty simple. Um, humanity, according to Hawkins, and it's pretty fascinating. So in the book, every single statement that is in the book is muscle tested based off of that scale. And the books calibrate pretty high. And then it's not just muscle tested by him, it's muscle tested by people all across the board. So it's pretty fascinating. Um, but he says, I think when the book was written, I don't remember the year, that humanity was only calibrated at like 205. And I think that was like anger. <laughs> um, and then the next level is like courage, which I think since he wrote the book, humanity finally is at the level of courage. So it's interesting because you have like all these movements and um, foundations that are getting wiped out and restructured. And it takes courage to do that. So what is muscle testing and what is the scale that you're referring to? So muscle testing is where a person goes and they check a person's body for a yes or no answer based on their muscles. And they do it um, by pushing lightly on their arm or their wrist. And if it holds strong, it's a yes. And if it falters, it's really subtle. If it falters, it's a no. Or you could do the sway method where you stand straight and if you sway forward, it's a yes. If you sway backward, it's a no. Um, or you could say love and you'll go forward. If you say hate, you'll go backwards. Um, and it's basically done to bypass um, the ego and it goes like straight to like the subconscious mind, I guess, or the core of a person. Um, and then... A lot of people do muscle testing for like diets and stuff. They'll muscle test to see if like a supplement is beneficial to their body or not. A lot of the homeopathic doctors are trained to muscle test. Um, and then the scale, the level of consciousness is in his book, Power Versus Force. 
Um, and he has like a whole list of like a range of um, states of consciousness. So you have like at the bottom of it, I don't remember the order, but it's like shame and apathy and anger and bitterness and all these very low vibrational levels of consciousness. And then you have um, reason is at like 400 and love is at 500. And it's pretty interesting because a lot of the great philosophers, when they were muscle checked, they calibrated at 499 because they couldn't get past their mind and make the leap to the 500. Um, which is pretty interesting to me because I feel like I get caught up in my mind quite a bit. And then like the greats, like they're like, even it has muscle testing for like all the scripture that's out there, like through all the different religions. And it's pretty interesting to see how low and high some of the things test. So what's beyond love? Um, I can't remember. I know the highest one is like the avatars, which is like the highest level of consciousness. So like what Christ and Buddha and Krishna all stood for, they all test at a thousand. Okay. And then... So love is halfway there. Yeah. And so Hawkins says that when a person calibrates that love, um, that's where true healing and balance really begins to take place. And he had muscle check to see how many um, people avatars balance and i can't remember it was a really high number and when he wrote the book there was one person that was at the avatar level but there was no identity for who it was so i get the feeling that for humanity to keep rising there's probably always one avatar that's as great as the greats that we know of that we just don't know of at this point i see yeah it's pretty interesting so how do you muscle test scripture exactly because you're reading a human body right you're not reading a physical book or a sentence yeah so the body is the method the body is the tool used to check for the truth in the statement or question because they the book has a formula for how to word it to get an accurate answer because wording is really really important when you're doing muscle testing because if you use leading words or if you use really vague words like you're not going to get like consistent answers. Um, like I'm trying to think of like a vague question you could ask. Um, you could be like, the Bible is pure love. And then the muscle checking would probably give you something really vague. Cause that's really vague. But then if you're like the Bible in 8300 or whatever is like, resonating with the calibration of love then you could get like a yes or a no and if it's like a no then you would be like okay then it's like resonating or calibrated with and you would name a number on the scale and then you would slowly inch your way to whatever number it's calibrated at and then that's how you would get a feel for what it is so it almost sounds like muscle testing is kind of an, another form of divination Almost, yeah. I guess that's one way to look at it. His book's fascinating, though, because of how many people, like, did it. Like, he spent so much of his life, like, dedicating to muscle testing everything. Like, every sentence in his book has been muscle checked. And, like, his first book was calibrated pretty high, but it was the books after, once he got the hang of it all, those were the ones that were calibrated very high. And they take time to read because they are so highly calibrated. Like, it's... It's work to go through them. 
So you said in your blog post that 2022 is the year of relationships. Can you can you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, so in numerology, 2022 is the year of six, because two plus two plus two is six, and 2021 was the year of five, and 2020 was the year of four. Um, so the year of four had to do with foundations and wiping out foundations, which we all know COVID did that. And then 2021 has to do with changes, um, which everybody had to adapt to changes in 2021. And depending on the mindset you had with that, um, you go into 2022, which is going to be relationships, but this is like relationships with your new foundation. So, I mean, it could be like romantic relationships, family relationships, friendships, networking relationships, um, all that are going to be building or falling apart based off of the foundation you set in 2020. Um, So for myself, I've had to do a lot of boundary work with my little brothers. um, And then I've had to create work boundaries for myself. And then uh, there's been a lot of relationship work going on as well since we're getting married and we want to work through Um, some of the heavier stuff before we get married and just be conscious going into it. So it's like there's a relationship theme all over the board for myself. And then, I mean, my best friend, she just found like two sisters. She had no idea she had like the first week of 2022. So I was like, oh, there's relationships. Um, Wait, so you said 2020 was the year of of foundations? Foundations, because it was a four year. And then a five year, 2021 is a year of changes. And then 2022 is a year of relationships based off of those foundational changes and or foundations and changes that came up with 2020 and 2021. I see. I yeah. see. Huh. So this is the year about either bringing more relationships closer or drifting apart. Could be either way. Yeah, it'll be either way. And if things do drift apart, it's still supported by the universe because releasing the old makes room for the new so i mean my other friend is working through saying goodbye to a friend and um once that's over with she'll have space for a friend that treats her better and it could be both right yeah definitely we have a whole year yeah (laughs) (laughs) what's 2023 i haven't looked i'm trying to stay in the now (laughs) okay i see yeah So what advice would you give people for this year for their relationships? Um, I would say to work on their relationship with themselves first and foremost. And the relationships that are meant to stay will stay. And the relationships that are meant to go will go. And it's okay to grieve the ones that go. Um grieve them and thank them for what they taught you and then take what you liked from that relationship and put it on paper and then take what you didn't like and put it on paper and exit out and then manifest a new relationship in your life that you would like. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, this has been a lovely conversation, Tisha. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience today? Nope, I'm good. (laughs) It has been great. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, too. I appreciate you. And thank you so much, dear listener, for tuning in. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, please subscribe to our Patreon at MostlyWhelm.com. 
This is your host, Sam RB, signing off.